Hey folks, it's Blamo. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. How do you do? <laughs> it's officially fall, so it means all the good stuff is supposed to start coming out. We got the, the new movies, the new books, the new music, lots of good stuff. Unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't really feel like fall, but that, you know, that whole climate change thing, it uh, keeps knocking on the door. Look, I'm, I'm not a fan either. Fall stuff, yes. Hot orange leaves, no. Anyone getting themselves ready, though? You think like, oh man, I need these jeans. I need this sweater. Th- then fall will come. I don't know. It might work. Keep keep doing it. Support your local. Speaking of, I went to one of my uh, one of my favorite record stores the other day, and man, it's <laughs> it's literally high fidelity in there. I mean, like the movie, probably also sonically, but like, I mean, it's it's all the same. It it looks the same. It smells the same. I think the carpet was even the same. Which you know, given the fact that places decades old i don't know if that's good or bad but i, I thought it was kind of nice little little bummed uh i didn't see any listening stations though but you know i get it people got phones that being said i picked up the new woods record which has always been a favorite band of mine and surprise surprise i mentioned this because band member producer engineer jarvis tavernier is on the pod this week didn't intend for that to rhyme but here we are so i don't know love the music and i love this talk Jarvis has worked on some of your favorite records, Fleet Foxes, Whitney Real Estate, and obviously Woods. And he's the guitarist of the band, too. Who knew? Anyway, Jarvis and I discussed the new Woods album, Perennial, Brooklyn Indie Rock, the albums he goes back to, getting into watches, or not, you gotta hear it, tour fits, and some of our favorite Beatles songs. You know I love those Beatles. Let's go. I did check out your um, LinkedIn page. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, I did some some research. (laughs) Oh, God. I don't want to come in cold. Yeah, well, I mean that's that's fine. Yeah, wait, did you listen to the show at all? Are you familiar with the show? Yeah, I checked out. Um, I checked out a few. Okay, Beach Fossils list a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Last time I saw Dustin um, was, oh, yeah. was this, one of the last times was at Pavement Show in New York. Okay. And he was telling me how he was like crying a lot. He just was so happy. He was just loving it. I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I love that guy. That had to have been fatherhood hitting him, right? I think so. I t- I've I have a two year old, and I. I tear up a little easier these days. Yeah, I, I I love it. I I have two kids. I cry all the time. It's it's fucking Amazing. great. What I, was the last thing you cried at? I, I cried this morning, uh, because because <laughs> um my daughter started kindergarten. She's five, mm-hmm. and um her school the first day you could bring her in, and all the other days they're like you know parents adults aren't allowed in the school. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, no, oh, it's for guns. It's security. It's all this stuff. Cause the school is locked, you know, and all this. And I'm like, oh God, that's, that's nuts. And so you bring her, you know, for, she's a walker. And so to bring her to the school, you have to enter at a specific door for the walkers and they, you know, and so she crosses the little parking lot of the school and the parents stay on this sidewalk area and you wave goodbye or whatever. And she just has got her back turned. She's got her lunchbox and her backpack. And she goes, bye, dad. And she just and walks in. down. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it's, it's over. Like, it's next thing you know. I mean, she's going to, I don't know, go off to school or go off to whatever. Uh, I don't know. Elon Musk University on the moon, whatever, whatever we're doing at that time. Well, is she bizarre. In, was she in daycare before that? Yeah, she was in daycare. She was in daycare for a long time. I mean, she was in daycare when we were in New York and then she was in daycare here and like preschool and stuff. 
but you know, it was much more, you know, hands-on Montessori sort of thing where it's like, I would walk into her class and you know, all sorts of stuff. And this is, this is real shit. And she's a big kid now. And it just, it rocked me, man. I was walking home and I'm crying. It doesn't help that I'm binging the, this Paul McCartney documentary and you find out how just how human all the Beatles were and all this stuff. Uh, and What's that called? Um, the one that I'm listening to, there's like a gajillion Paul McCartney documentaries, but this is The Life. It's from Philip Norman. So cool. Philip Norman, who did, he did the John Lennon one. Mm. He's done, he's done a lot. And it's, it's, it's heavy and it's hard to, to listen to. I don't know. But it's, it's easy compared to, uh, I mean, well, what's easy listening is your, your freaking record, which I've been listening to quite a bit. I've been a Woods oh, fan thanks. for a long ass time. Oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on this. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm. I'm glad this worked out. It's. Uh. I think, especially musicians and folks on here, there's a there's a perspective and an openness to things that I think people that traditionally come on on like the more fashion side or design side are a little bit more set in their ways. <laughs> so more more agenda driven. I don't know. I think it's there's there's no shade on anyone, but I think I think to be an artist as a musician, and you tell me. Um, you just have to be more open to edits and to critique and you're constantly getting feedback because you're a live performer. And yeah, so, I mean, that's got to change how you approach art. No, I guess so. Yeah. I haven't thought about it like that. I I can't compare it to, to fashion, but I do think about how beaten down my ego has been, (laughs) especially as, as a producer and a mixer, you know, I've just gotten so used to just saying my opinion and having to be okay with the fact that it might get shot down. And mm-hmm. depending on how committed I am, how much I want to argue for it, you know, it doesn't matter. Got to. You mean like times. your opinion, as in the songwriting uh, on a mix or an arrangement in in woods? But for for other, you know, I do that for other bands. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's my full time job is more doing production and mixing. Oh yeah, yeah. What other? I mean, is there anything? else that you have oh, you weren't on my linkedin page but i was on yours are you gonna like wax poetic on 1073s over here i mean oh do you, I mean, down. If you want to do well, i tell you my opinion this is your show but, but i can't say uh speaking of 1073s which my vocal's going through i think it's distorting a little bit is it i can barely hear it someone's gonna listen to this on on airpods that they might have accidentally run over at some point in their life those are the airpods i have <laughs> my dad found them in the snow and then sent them to me from new york so wait <laughs> wait, you, wait, you're running this through a Neve 1073? Or oh, yeah. is this uh yeah. Wow. It's what I have set up for overdubs, so I just pulled this microphone off a guitar amp and put it in front of my face. Jarvis is talking to us on um, an exceptional gold standard <sighs> mic preamp that people put in the Holy of Holies for they music do. production. Yeah. And 1081s and 1073s, Rupert Neve. Rupert Neve. Yeah. Don't have any 81s, but I have two of these that I'm actually borrowing from someone. And yeah, now I get to use them for podcasting. <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss. When I, so at one point I mean, I when I was it. younger, I worked at um, uh, Sony Music Studios mm-hmm. um, as like a late night engineer, like just a helper, like a third engineer sort of thing. And Chad Blake was in there. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, we had found out that they were going to shut down the studio during this time. And this is 2005, mm-hmm. four or five, maybe. And a few other people came in and were like, what are they going to do with the gear? And people were like, well, there's not much of an inventory list of what this gear is. So let's go to town. And throughout the night, people just started ransacking the board. Really? Yeah. Did you get anything? Or? I did. I did. I got four. I got four. 
four channels, which uh, helped pay for my record that I was making at the time. Whoa, wait, four channels of what? What, what was the board? I do, we, it was a big old Neve. And then we had an, there was an Amec Galileo. There was um, um, some Studer tape that people took. There was a bunch of old Vox stuff. What year was, was it? This was two, I think this was 2005. Okay. Yeah. Because you always have these, you hear these romantic stories about like when gear was undervalued. I mean, now it's ridiculous. Yeah. You hear stories like that of, you know, finding some gear for free or. Oh yeah. I mean, people just took it out and, you know, I mean, the, the most valuable item at the time was all of a sudden a Phillips head screwdriver. So you could just rip things out of a board or, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, oh, it was, uh, it was amazing. You sold them for a record. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, now what? I don't know what a, what a Neve channel is worth now. What eight grand or something? Maybe more. Yeah, Who knows? probably more. Yeah, I think I was getting maybe two for mine at the time. Yeah, that's, that's so, amazing. Yeah, there you go. And uh, <laughs> that my my failed music career, and uh, that that's it. Paid for by old Neve channels. Um, what was your project? I was in the shitty band called Jackson Knife. Dumb, dumb name. Knife. Yeah, stupid. You know, this is again. This is oh five when everyone wants to be the Shins and Spoon and some sort of mm-hmm. you know sub pop indie you know this is like Those are you guys were playing at like glasslands 2005 mia maybe yeah maybe even a little before my time jeremy was doing the band with someone yeah. else for a few years yeah because yeah, this was super early lo-fi like that was just like yeah this this era of music that you know we were doing um we did like a few like smaller tours we toured like rara riot and then Paul Banks from Interpol became a buddy of mine and was coming to shows and was helping us out. And I was like, I fucking, I, this is so hard. I can't do this. And he's like, oh, you should go work at Beggars. And I was like, okay. And I went and worked at Beggars and I was there ever since. <laughs> it's amazing. You know? yeah. I was listening to Paul Banks' uh, record with RZA recently. Oh, okay. Now that's out there. That's out there for sure. And? There's some good stuff on there. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, many people were a bit turned off by the fact that it's not Interpol. <laughs> I get it, but ha- checking it out now, just like kind of with no context, other than I was just in a Wu-Tang phase and was just checking out everything involved, you know, that I'd missed. Yeah, I don't know. It's cool. I think almost everything, well, like anything, many musicians, it's like, it's hard to have good music, but also be at the right time for your music. I agree. Like, you, I mean, you I th- go, have, you, have you gone back and listened to records and you're like, man, this was too early. And now this record's a classic. Yeah. Who was I listening to yesterday? I was listening to Sloan. Okay. You know that band? Uh, they're like a pit, like pitchfork drawing in like the mid-aughts? Or am I wrong? No, maybe they were a little grungy for a record. And then went Beatles-y, like four songwriters, everyone switched instruments. Or oh, okay. Some people did. Great, like power poppy band, but... Okay, this is not what I was thinking of then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're still going today. Very cool band. But I was listening to them yesterday, and they have this record... Yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that you're you're good at, at the producer's uh, judgment withheld. <sighs> I know I'm like a politician sometimes. I'm like, yeah, oh, no, it's great. It's it's fine. Um, yeah. Don't know who's listening. Oh, uh, there's there's a couple. There there'll be a couple people that'll hear us. Um, what was I going to say? So the Woods record. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how you you get into Woods because I think Woods is like it was yeah just Jeremy and now it's a bit of like a collective no um it's been pretty much me and Jeremy for at least ten years but okay different people kind of coming in and out yeah so when I first started playing in Woods Jer- me and Jeremy and our old band had a house together and we all just had lots of different projects and um, yes yeah, Jeremy started Woods and it just seemed like the most fun, the most, the weirdest creative, you know, he was just kind of doing it. He would make a cassette and then sell a hundred copies, which to me was 
huge. Or you yeah. make a record and they sold 500 copies in, without playing any shows uh, while we were in this band practicing twice a week, grinding it out, trying to get something to happen. And yeah, I don't know, it just seemed like such a fun, cool project that he was just starting out of his bedroom on a cassette four track. So after he did two records and maybe there, there were some singles too, mm -hmm. and I just, you know, we, I lived in the house. We just, I just got involved. And so, and what's your music career like pre this? Um, just playing guitar in uh, indie rock bands and uh, me and Jeremy met, we went to college together. Yeah. And as I was graduating, he joined a band I'd been in called I'm the Resurrection. That was maybe... The hardcore, trashy, something thrashy. Okay. And yeah, Jeremy had played in similar types of bands. And uh, we did a tour together of just doing house shows and basement shows. And uh, we just hit it off. And, uh, and seeing the underground network of the DIY through like through the hardcore scene just like right. got me so inspired. I was like, I kind of just like indie rock and nerdy shit. But this whole world just kind of opened up. And I never really traveled much either. So because so that's how we got involved. Right. So in this year era, this is all like pre-Spotify. This is kind of like... Pre-Spotify, yeah. It's it's MySpace and what, Verb? Like, it's tough how you're trying I to like sling your... Yeah. Do you remember, Verb, Verb blew up because it was where uh, Justin from Bon Iver had his music um, before Jag Jaguar, I think. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, me and Jeremy... This is 2007. Playing in a hardcore band in like 2001 or two. Okay. Bingo. And then had some indie rock bands and then played in different things. And I was in a, you know, a band called Wooden Wand and the Vanishing Voice. Okay. That was Freak Folk, that's what they called it. Oh, okay. Mostly improvised with some folk songs mixed in. Well, were you playing like mandolin and some uh, hurdy-gurdy? <laughs> or is this, you're, you're always was, on honestly, the six it was string. like we played garbage, like whatever was around. <laughs> there was an instrument called the Rabbit Mousophone that okay. Lucas, who ended up playing in Woods, he played cassettes in Woods in the early days. He found just in front of someone's house and it was like a homemade harp with uh, nylon guitar strings. And it was just insane. It wouldn't stay in tune, but if you plugged it through, we had a contact mic on it through a tuner so you could always kind of keep it in tune. <laughs> or before we'd play a show, we would all just tune these weird instruments to each other. Yeah, okay. I had a fretless bass that had guitar strings on it. Oh, lordy. Yeah, so it wasn't traditional folk. It was really a bunch of garbage. So this is your, this is your skiffle music yes. era. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I'm still in the Beatles mode, so I'm trying that's, to. Right, we can stay in the Beatles mode. That's my parallels of of the music careers. Um, yeah. Damn. Okay. So the the music was made on garbage, but I think it's cool. I listen to it sometimes. Yeah. Some of it's cringy. Check it out. You told I, me. I will check it out. I was gonna say no. I gotta after. I'll put in the show notes your the whole musical journey that you <laughs> that you've been on. I've I've done that sometimes, especially I used to do that with like. Jim O'Rourke stuff, just finding like anything that he had his hands on and to see like what I could pull from him from records that he played and things that he actually produced and where it's like, oh, how do I, you know, in a weird way, one of my favorite things about music in general, as someone who grew up from my dad was a musician and I was, you know, I was a failed professional musician, but then I'm still now just like a guitar noodler with my kids is like, there's a constant um, chase to kind of have some sort of physical presence of an artist and you're like trying to evaluate that and and recreate that by performing their music and i don't really know any other art form that's like that i mean stage stuff maybe but i don't know trying to keep someone alive yeah, i just i took my daughter to see a beatles tribute band a couple weeks ago okay it and? was great first set was all in suits all the early stuff and then they took an intermission and came out you know as hippies 
Oh, wow. It was awesome. She was digging it. Yeah. My, my daughter, um, I've said this story on the pod where like, uh, a friend of mine is like, Hey, you should just put on the radio, like in your car. He's like, stop, you know, listening to albums or whatever, like listen to albums at home and just put the radio on so you can kind of hear what's going on. So I have like Sirius XM and there's a Beatles station in there and the Beatles station was on and it was let it be. And, um, my daughter had never heard it. And, we were playing, you know, she's hearing, she's like, who's this? I was like, oh, this is the Beatles. And she's like somewhat familiar. She was probably just turned five at the time. And we get to the parking lot because it's a short drive, you know, and this is, this is the Beatles. This is the Let It Be version that, uh, that I guess Paul hated because of, uh, um, what's his face? Phil Spector mm. and, you know, reproduce this stuff in that session. And, you know, you hear George Harrison's guitar solo. It's wrapping up. There's the organ, Billy Preston, da, da, da. And then Harriet's like, and I turned the car off. We're getting out. And she's like, dad, wait. And she's like, can we finish the song? The best. And I'm like, oh yeah, no. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, I turned the car back on and like the serious thing will kind of pick up where it left off and play the rest of the song. And I turned around and she's like tearing up and you're like, holy cow. Like this, like I, music is, is affecting her day. Like this is, you know, she doesn't know the words. She doesn't know what it means. You're she has watching no context her here, let it be for the first time. Yeah. No, yeah. No context. Nothing. It doesn't know how funny they are in interviews or how cute they are. Yep. You know, just totally divorced from that. Yeah. So, and in a way I was like, oh, this is one of the reasons obviously why I love music so much is because she's making her memory from that. She has no other, yeah, understanding of, you know, John and Paul's interpersonal issues mm -hmm. of, the divorce of why the song was written of why. And it's like, what other art can it be like that? Where that, you know, that person makes that memory for themselves and they can change that. And that memory becomes, you know, living through someone else's art. And it's like, I'm not trying to get all Joe Rogan, weird, heady stuff, but like, that's, <laughs> it's why I like continue to constantly go back and listen to things. But what you're saying about music and like just the power of it and like, yeah, like nothing else really does that or does something else do it. And yeah, what if, maybe not. Maybe that's just it. And that's why we keep chasing it. And well, what made you want to do music? Um, yeah, I think st still just chasing it, chasing that feeling. When you're telling yeah. that story, I was remembering and I was much older than than your daughter. I was like a teenager, but I was in the car with my friend's stepmom and we're okay. going to the mall in Connecticut. We're in upstate New York. Some mall I'd never been to, and it was raining. And uh, a Bob Dylan song came on, Stuck Inside Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Yep. What song is that? I think that's the song. That's what the song is yeah, called, probably. Stuck Inside Mobile with... Yeah. It's on Blonde on Blonde. Blonde on Blonde, yeah. yeah. Um, which uh, is, I think is my favorite still. Wow. I'm a new morning guy. You're a new morning guy. Yeah. It's fun that it can keep changing with Dylan. Oh, yeah. Blood on the Tracks is still... I cried in the kitchen last night listening to... Uh, Blood on the tracks while I was doing oh, the man, dishes. We're going all over the place already. <laughs> yeah, um, but I remember this drive and hearing that Dylan song. And I was not a Dylan fan. I was kind of anti-classic rock for a while. I was into punk, indie, whatever, you know, late 90s stuff I was into. And then I heard that and I was just like, holy shit. And, you know, that for the first time hearing that Dylan thing, where I'm like, the chorus just keeps happening. And I love it. And I don't want it to stop. And it's like, it keeps coming. And I can still remember looking at houses. I was, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. And I can, I still remember the drive. I remember the houses I was looking at while I heard this song. Blew my mind. Yeah, that's heavy. Now right here I have. Um, wow. He's holding up a CD. It's um, a CDR burn for me. <laughs> my first job, uh, maybe not my first job, but worked at Borders. Were you familiar with uh, Borders books? Yeah, I know Borders. I don't think that's why I first heard OK Computer. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> 
an older guy who worked there was trying to turn me on to Dylan and made me this CDR, uh, Blood on the Tracks, the New York versions, Live. which is all the acoustic. Yeah. Which I think some of those are on the record. But mm-hmm. I never even heard the full Blood on the Tracks. This was my jam. Listen to it every day. And just, you know, within the past five years, maybe more, actually know what the real record sounds like. Yeah. It's uh, one of my favorite Dylan stories is when he's, Bob Dylan is playing Blood on the Tracks in the acoustic form, like just like singing the songs and playing on acoustic. And he's kind of reading because a lot of his, uh, his lyrics he wrote just like on a typewriter. And he's just like looking down at a sheet of paper and he's singing the songs to Graham Nash. And Graham Nash is like, this guy is the fucking worst musician I've ever heard. But man, is he, man, is he a great songwriter. And then he plays him the first, you know, because Blood on the Tracks was recorded twice. Mm-hmm. And he plays him the first version. And everyone knows that first thing is just junk before he went back to Minnesota to re-record it. That's and, what this uh, is. This is the first version. But this, well, so yeah, so he's he's playing him. But that that's not the first version, the first album thing, or is that the live thing from '74? This one is the first album sessions that are acoustic guitar, oh, I think, little organ shit. and stand up okay. bass. Okay, yeah, and so that I and mean, a couple of those was... versions are on the the real record. Okay, okay, yeah, and so he plays that, and Graham Nash was just like, "God, this guy, what what a goober." <laughs> You know, and then he he drops that album, which is just the most beautiful breakup album uh, I've ever heard in my life. Um, you should give the the OG version a, another chance. I did the basement it tape sessions, sad. and I've done the bootlegs, but like amazing. I have this weird, yeah, this weird completionist mindset to where I usually, um, it was only maybe recently until I started to look at people's outtakes and other versions mm. as because I always thought it was disingenuous in my head because I'm like, well, this this wasn't what they put out first, you uh, yeah. know, in this case it was, but you know, I'm like, this wasn't the final brushstroke. So do I dare even experience it? Is that, I mean, I, 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 totally, I, I totally agree with that. I'm yeah. into that. But for me, it's funny that this older guy gave me that. Yeah. He's like, this is what you need. And that goes to show me you into him. So you're at borders blasting Dylan, losing your mind. A, a guy came in one time, an older guy, probably my age now. And he was okay. like, what are we listening to? <laughs> I was like, uh, Blood on the Tracks? Bob Dylan? He was like, this is not Blood on the Tracks. Oh, what is God. this? And I was like, uh, something a friend burned for me. And he was like, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? <laughs> You're playing it unreleased on the speakers at just, you know, couldn't believe it. Oh, this guy who just graduated from copyright law or whatever, and all of a sudden thinks he's, he, thinks he, he knows. He was obviously like a Dylan head, and he was just like, what the, f- we wanted it. Oh, I teased him, I tempted him. There you go. Power's in your hands now. Power's in my So all along. So you're, you're getting this musical journey. It sounds like people are kind of dumping some stuff into you, changing your ways from, mm-hmm. from punk stuff into uh, a little bit more of your, uh, I don't know, fake iambic pentameter songwriting here. <laughs> and... Uh, what what's this do to you? Like, did you did you feel like you were hot shit, and then you come to New York and you play music, and you're like, oh my god, I have a lot to learn. Um, I don't know if I ever felt like hot shit, but definitely when I was in college and in that little bubble where I met Jeremy, mm. I was definitely yeah. just so obsessed and productive. I mean, I still was in Brooklyn too, but because I moved down to Brooklyn, was there for like 18 years before moving to LA, and uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a eh, I don't know. Maybe a smackdown. What was your what was the the moment when you realized that you didn't know everything you thought you knew? Um, well, I always knew I didn't know much. Okay. Humble. So I, I feel like I was always kind of humble, but it was like the reality of like getting getting to the city and starting bands and just trying to get traction. 
and seeing other bands doing it and then, you know, just kind of not. But still having a great mm. time. I mean, living in Brooklyn in your early 20s. Yeah, been there. Not bad. Great. <laughs> no. Yeah, not a, not a care in the world. Uh, who cares about what you're going to eat? Who cares about the time? You just go. Yeah. Um, so I was dumpster diving. I mean, it was easy. Were you really? Yeah. I was oh dumpster diving, but I would, um, I was interning a lot or not interning. Uh, what is it like day office work? What's the word for that? Temping. Temping. And how was that? It was super funny. Cause I would have like a mismatch suit from a thrift store. Okay. You know, I look like a, some, I probably look like I thought I was in the strokes or something, but I was like, this is how you dress for an office job. Yeah. And yeah. It was only no jackets. Wow. It, it, it sounds to me more that your life, Jarvis, is like this TV show. Oh, I because, love it. No, I'm serious. <laughs> Did you ever watch, uh, what was it called? Love Monkey? <laughs> that failed TV show, but about no, the A&R never. guy who was like the hot shit dude, and he was making music, and then he was kind of, life, life kicks in, and he has to separate his personal and work life at the same time. It's like some, it was a good show. Love oh, Monkey. Was he? Yeah, it was called, no, it was called Love Monkey. And the whole thing is he walked around with, uh, on his iPod. Um, I feel like you're making it? this up, but I, I love it. I swear to you, I, I, with every fiber of my being, I swear this is, who was the main character? It was a CBS show. It came out in 2006. The only reason why I know is because my friend worked on it. Um, Judy Greer was in it. Yeah, Tom Cavanaugh. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, so you, you so you I were gigging TV for 10 years, like my first 10 years in Brooklyn. I was like, no movies, no pop culture. It what? was just playing in bands, playing shows, going to bars. That was it. So where did you, what was pushing you musicianship wise? Um, just, uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm a musician. I love it. And, uh, I wanted to travel. I wanted to to do it. The camaraderie yeah. of it too was very appealing to me. When, yeah. Yeah. Like w when a band or a collaboration really works, especially in my early twenties, I guess that's what I'm focusing on. But did you have brothers or sisters? Yeah. I have a brother. Okay. He's in your family life, family life wild. Uh, nah. So the normal was this, the normal was problems. this kind of Nothing's breaking away from the mediocrity then? Ooh, that's a very good way to put it. Yes. I feel like my whole life has been, uh, trying to break away from the mediocrity. Okay. Uh-huh. That makes sense because uh, you, you have this like contentment to you, to you, especially throughout this conversation, which like, you know, like you've, you've been on the high highs and the low lows and you've kind of just found a center. Have we talked about the low lows yet? I don't know. I clearly not, but it feels <laughs> like you've, you've been through If temping is my low lows, then pretty charmed life. That or losing luggage somewhere or, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, uh, a, a music take that that doesn't get heard the right way yeah pretty charm life yeah so you so because you what you've because woods has toured a ton yeah all over the place mm -hmm. yeah there was definitely maybe five or six years of, of hard touring yeah do you think it's easier to be in a band now or more difficult i mean i don't know if my experience as like a, as a new dad post pandemic it feels like everything's different right sure but um yeah, I don't know if I have the perspective on that. Well, you're a musician. I mean, you're making music. Well, okay. So as like an older person in a band that's been a go an older person. Uh, How old are you? At 43. Okay, you're not old. Um, older gentleman in a band sure. with kids trying to get it together, trying to organize like a fucking six day tour. It's a lot of work, you know, because you're not like, you're not just in the flow state of, of youth of just every day there's nothing else to do so you just kind of move your little party into a van and then into a venue you know now we have to actually like reassemble right but you have i said you know you have the security per se and that you're an established band 
Like people know who you are Mm -hmm. and you can book a show and know people are going to show up versus being a totally new band. And every show in a way is like how you're setting, you know, you're hoping to establish yourself. Yeah. But I don't don't know if that's changed, but if you're just talking about for us personally, yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, I think as a new band, I mean, the thing that I was going against is like the tools that are ne- that are there now to to play music, where it's much more common now where people are like, oh, I'm just going to distribute the album myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, you know, I don't need a label. I'm just going to hire this PR company or I'm going to hire this or, or um, you know, you don't really need a publicist. You can just have your own social media to where there's much more, I think, ownership in a lot of music, even in a in a business that feels like it's less and more, or it's more and more hostile to mm-hmm. ownership, but like there's, there's empowerment that's across the board, but I feel like it's much more difficult to navigate in terms of someone saying, okay, what, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm, that's the thing I'm kind of curious about where, you know, is it easier, more difficult to be a musician in that way? Because it's like, everything's in front of you. You can distribute a song across the globe within seconds, but, but people- with everyone else doing that. Yeah. I don't know heard? if people are listening to it. Right. You know, I mean, I've worked with a bunch of bands who are very, who are doing very well and haven't been on a label yet and they just have total ownership. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. But then there's plenty of people who just are just putting songs out into the ether and, you know, like no one, no one hears it. Um, So, so I don't know if it's, if it's easier or. Well, as on the production side for you, like saying you're producing a band, what sort of advice do you give some of these musicians based on your own experience? Um, I, I think playing live is just the thing still for me. To just I, get out there and play shows. Yeah. I mean, just to get better and just to build an audience and like to connect with people. I st- I mean, obviously, well, whatever, social media is great too, but I know just as many people on social media were frustrated, you know? And I think the, mm-hmm. the real thing is just having that connection and going and performing for people and connecting with them. Maybe you don't, you know, there's no guarantees. But it's, I don't know. Playing live is really fun too. Yeah. When was the last time you played live? Um, I played bass with my friend Anna St. Louis. I produced a record for her, and she did a show in L.A. Yeah. But since then, a couple of Woods shows last year. Okay. And how did that feel? Especially post-pandemic live shows. A uh, pretty fun. We were, we were a little rusty, but super fun. How often do you guys get to practice? We okay. So we have a record coming out in a month. We'll meet up mm-hmm. in New York in a few weeks, and we'll rehearse for a week. And then start playing shows. Okay. So that's and then what you're going, you're going on the road days. for a week? Yeah, a week of shows. Then a month later, everyone comes to LA where I am and we'll mm-hmm. rehearse here and do the same thing on the West Coast. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think like I've seen shows recently and especially in the Midwest now where it's like cheaper to see shows. Um, it's there's definitely a different vibe seeing live music now, I think post pandemic than there was. How cheap are we talking? I mean, I saw. What, what, 40, 30, 40 bucks a ticket mm-hmm. compared to what, 70 a ticket? In, <laughs> I guess that's who you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, who did I see? I did see, uh, I saw The Smile. Oh, how was that? Tom York's. Other, oh, it was incredible. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen one. I mean, they were playing in a venue that's like 3,000 people versus, you know, 30,000 with Radiohead or mm-hmm. something. And I've never seen Tom York so happy. It's amazing. Like, it's, there's, you know, I've seen Radiohead maybe 10 or 12 times in my life and net just never seen the joy in his face. 
he was making jokes to the crowd, which I don't ever really recall. Um, he was like, you know, making himself laugh with his own echo, you know, and like, it's not like Tom York was out there on a bunch of drugs. Like this is, you know, he's the dude just having fun. 50s. Yeah, he's just having fun. And and the audience really reciprocated that. You know, I I saw Fleet Foxes in the same venue three weeks before. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal. Um, and, you know, it, there, there was just an energy at seeing live music now. And it's like, people are so hungry for it. And, you know, I mean, it's just everyone seems so happy. Mm-hmm. And just reciprocating all the energy back, and then obviously I saw, uh, I saw um, Tim Heidecker's Two Tims live show. How was that? It was great. I I've mean, got some friends in the band. But I haven't okay. seen the show yet. So his band, and this is the thing that makes you realize, like, oh wow, like I'm not belittling Tim Heidecker's songwriting at all. But it's not, it's not like Dismemberment Plan, Bizarro Time Signature stuff. Like it's just fun, great, classic songs. I like the song Buddy. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song. Yeah. With just with incredible backing musicians and they sounded amazing and everyone was happy. And in a weird way, I was just like, Oh, like I don't recall having such a warm environment and seeing music in a very, very long time. And I think it's just because we were, we were so dried up from the pandemic. The last woods show was in New York. We played at union pool. Do you know that bar? Yeah. Of many nights there. Yeah. Um, me too. Uh, <laughs> they do an outdoor summer thunder, I think they call it. Outdoor shows. Mm-hmm. But it rained, so it got moved indoors. So we're playing in a pretty small venue. And it yes. was so fun. Just like yeah. the vibe was so great. You know, it's raining outside. Our drummer's daughter came on stage and played tambourine for like a song or two or th- three, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wait, so why do you think that dream. is? I mean, I I can't say if that's the post-pandemic thing or just was a fun day, but why do people enjoy coming together and having fun? It's hard to do. No, it's, it's hard to get out of the house sometimes. Yeah, I mean that that's the other thing is like friends of mine that work in the industry, they talk about the new the new uh drop rates that happen from live shows now to where someone's telling me twenty people buy tickets. People I was having this conversation last night. Yep. Twenty percent. That's so that means if there's yeah. So if there's a 2000, you know, ticket show and 20% doesn't show up, you're missing 200 people. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I still got their money. But most True. people who keep doing this kind of don't care. I mean, it's, you need the money, but you look out in yeah, the room no, and you're like, where are the people? Yeah. I mean, the, I saw that happen at the Fleet Foxes show oh, okay. where the show was like almost sold out, you know, whatever. And it was not almost sold out inside. Mm-hmm. There was plenty of space. I don't think that they noticed it, you know. Yeah, you got to get the lights really no bright on your face so you can't, so it just looks blurry. Bingo. But like there was a lot of space where it's like that person can sit down there and like. They could spin. You know, they could twirl. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. They could dance. They could run <laughs> a few laps. So, I mean, it was it was stuff like that that you're seeing. And I'm, I'm just constantly fascinated by this evolution of of the music business and how this how this affects songwriting and music in general, because so much of all this stuff, you're not really making your music in a bubble. You're still influenced by, whether you realize it or not, by things that are going on, by other music you're hearing, you know, getting different ideas. Mm-hmm. And I'm just always That's curious like how, how the business evolves. When you say bubble, I, it makes me just think of like business, like the kind of perceived negative things. So I don't think mm-hmm. of like music you're influenced by, like that, like, that's part of your bubble, right? That's sure. your world. So yeah, you don't actually make music in a total bubble. Like maybe your daughter hearing Let It Be for the first time, like no context, you know, then she, maybe she goes and writes something after hearing that. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. we'll see. I mean, I play a ton of 
Jim Croce and Paul Simon songs on guitar around my kids all the time. And, you know, my daughter doesn't care unless I play, you know, Frozen, which that song sucks. We tried watching Frozen this weekend. Didn't work. Didn't stick. Well, wait, wait, go on. How old, how old your kid? Two? Two in a couple months. Oh, yeah. You're, wait for it. Floodgates are going to open in about 18 months. And I'm here for it. Wait, 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 wait a second. I got to get my bids in on the Bezel app, but more on that in, in a minute. I get all sorts of emails and questions from you all, which I love to read and respond. And one thing I constantly get and even read in the Blamo Slack is, what watch should I buy and where should I get it? It's a wild world out there with all sorts of websites and shops, but I go to Bezel. Bezel is the trusted marketplace for buying and selling your next luxury watch with expert in-house authentication on every purchase. First off, folks, it's getbezel.com. That's getbezel.com. But I use and recommend Bezel because it's the best of both worlds. You can go to the site and browse a marketplace of luxury watches, over 16,000 of them, by the way, which is a lot. And I know that Bezel is going to authenticate your purchase. Or you can create an account and get connected with your own private client advisor called the concierge. Because look, making a watch purchase can be confusing, especially when you don't know all the reference numbers. When was this made? Did they use ceramic then? Is it a triple lop, dingle top? You know, what the heck? I don't even know. But they do at Bezel, and they're here to help. Concierge, baby. Look, if looking for your watch to mark a special occasion, or maybe you're just doing research, right? They even have their own journal where you can learn all the ins and outs about Bezel and the brands and all the stuff that's happening right now. But back to my bids. Yes, Bezel now has auctions, and not just any auctions. They got Rolex, they got Cartier, they got Audemars Piguet, all the big dogs and more. So you can discover, bid, and know the Bezel team has got your back with verified in-house authentication. So visit getbezel.com on your smartphone or computer. Bezel, the trusted marketplace for buying or selling your next luxury watch. So Newwood's record, I feel like I wanted to be in a bubble as much as possible. I think we, we all, why is that? that's why we record in Northern California, just like in the woods. Um, the studio that's like on a hill above a beach, that's pretty amazing. Um, would you say, why is that? Mm-hmm. Why, why do you want to be in the bubble? Because I just want to, I don't know, I guess maybe it's getting back to earlier days of making music in woods where you didn't have, you, I wasn't thinking about anything it was just mm. you you trust that you've stored up enough you have enough experience you've listened to enough records played enough that it's just it's just in there and like how can you just like kind of let it fall out of you and uh the studio we work at we also when we work there we sleep there so it's really common that we'll make dinner and think we're done for the day and then end up working on something else um and you know not that that's always my favorite stuff sometimes it's ridiculous music that makes us laugh mm-hmm. but it's just part of the thing it gets me back into that state of yeah of like early woods right and then you get to sip through it all at the end and sometimes even the funny stuff you're like you know what a minute of that funny stuff is a kind of cool outro for this well is that where some of the instrumental stuff comes in because i feel like this I don't recall hearing much instrument on the last record that mm-hmm. came from one of those like post dinner mm-hmm. we're done for the day kind of things and then we just did that mm-hmm. did and then overdubbed on it later um so yeah but I mean a lot of the instrumental stuff it'll be like seven a.m. we're making coffee and just start working someone's noodling someone's noodling something's happening mm-hmm. that that's the main thing for the new record I'll, for a bunch of the instrumentals was I'd be making coffee or trying to make a smoothie with this really old blender they have that did not crush anything. And uh, I would hear Jeremy and, and John Andrews just jamming on something. 
and Jeremy brought all these loops with him that he had stored on a pedal that he had made. So they would just kind of find something and be like, ooh, and then I'd have to leave my, I'd have to abandon my gross smoothie. Yeah, and the old wearing, right? Wait, what is that? Wearing blender, the, the company. <laughs> I had a hunch. Just, was, they were like in every appliance. I had a hunch that was a know. reference to an old blender. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're really shitty blenders. I had one. It's trash. Couldn't, couldn't, could dip your hand in there. Pre-smoothie? Happen. You, People weren't making yeah. a lot of smoothies in those days, so they had. No, it was uh, it was a couple scoops of ice cream and some milk. Easy. Yeah. No, we we weren't we weren't liquefying ice with multiple amounts of kale and spinach. I know. I was and spinach in there. It didn't happen. Yeah, you're a spinach guy. I get it. That's me too. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Well, how else are you going to eat that garbage? It's hard. It's hard to get down. Yeah. Anyway. So wait, what's the Jim O'Rourke thing that, that piqued your oh, interest? Oh, just, um, I just hadn't thought of him in a while and I was recording something and we're doing vocals and someone was singing and like, they wanted to re-record their vocal, but try it in a, a more hushed tone, like whispery tone. I was like, huh, which at first I was like, I don't know if that's going to work, but let's try it. And then once I heard mm-hmm. it, it kind of reminded me of Jim O'Rourke. And then it sent me down a rabbit hole. When the session was over, I was just listening to him a bunch. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's so many amazing, just like production, you know, tricks and and mindsets of how things would be recorded from mic placement, you know, that would always throw me off uh, in a good way. And most of it had to do with a lot of, you know, Jim O'Rourke stuff, which you always, I didn't know he was, um, I had told him, I'm trying to think, I, I got to meet him once. And he was asking me what I was currently listening to. And I told him I was re-listening to Aha Shake Heartbreak, which was the Kings of Leon second record. Oh, yeah. Which, in my opinion, is like one of the only good ones. It was Ethan Johns, Glenn Johns' son, all recorded live. You know, Ethan Johns, who had done some of that stuff with earlier Ryan Adams stuff. But it's a very kind of live, raw sort of sound. Yeah, I remember hearing those records and thinking this is a cool new band yeah i mean this is before they ended up getting torpedoed by their own success Um, i haven't followed that closely but yeah basically they just got annoyed that everyone wanted stadium rock anthems and so they wrote to please them and they've said all the stuff on the record of just like you know we lost our we lost our our drive to have fun and now we're you know now they're doing a 20-year anniversary of youth and young manhood and wembley or something (laughs) it'll be fine (laughs) i'm not concerned about their thing but like there was there was just this energy to it and i remember he was you know and he had talked about like recording drums um and like where you know when you're putting when you're just using less mics you're getting way more and i remember his comment was all about with production at the time it was too many mics too many channels too much overdubs and his thing was like we're going to reduce we're just going to reduce he's talking about you know and he some phase cancellation yeah. in that conversation yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, he's got a lot of, you know, which is funny because, yeah, you listen to, it wasn't loose fur era, Jim O'Rourke, mm-hmm. you know, so there was a lot of different stuff that's going on when it's like, you think there's going to be 64 tracks of a piano all of a sudden, but. I like this song, um, Get a Room. Do you know that one? Get a Room. Check it out later. That's my favorite. Yeah. That's my go-to. Okay. But it's not, it's, the production isn't crazy. It, it's really nice, but it, things are just kind of dry, open, mm. dark-ish. Okay. Check it out. What, what are, what are other like producers and and uh, albums that you that you would go back to to kind of reset to reset that's yeah. a great question i do have uh i mean it's always different it depends on what the project is and like just kind of trying to check things out but um yeah it's different project to project i mean the first ramones record i talk about it all the time uh is kind of my favorite album ever okay. forever so that's that's a constant go to for me the, why why that record it just sounds so great it's so simple 
I love the way the drums sound. Guitars playing on one side, bass is on the other. There's also an Angel Olsen record. Is it My Woman? That's very different than the Ramones, that's for sure. I know Angel Olsen. Yeah, just records that I pull up because I just like the way they sound. But that, that just reminded me of it. Like That's a record I like to listen to a lot, too, because of how good everything sounds. The arrangements and songs are great, too. But just mm-hmm. um, it's just kind of simple, and everything sits kind of perfectly. Yeah, here's here's a hot take, which you can agree or disagree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often think that the most of the best music ever recorded was recorded between 1968 and like 74, 75, because there was this perfect era where technology had peaked at the time and it created just enough restraints. We're saying six to make the best music. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, 68, because you, you include what? You include what? White Album or something, you know, in there that has some bizarro stuff. Um, but there's, you know, it's when, because what, like Dark Side of the Moon was made on 16 tracks. That was made on a 16 track machine. Okay. So like there, there was a limit of what you could use te- technologically to make music. And so, you know, oftentimes people say that like, you know, your creativity is the most empowered when there's restraints behind it. You know, if, if you have, if you have an empty room I mean, to record I, your I agree album, with that. yeah. And you're like, well, wait, what can I not do? And it's like, well, you can do anything. It's like, well, what am I going to scratch the wall to make a sound? Like, what do you, what do you want me to do? You know? And so I think like when you're like, no, you need to use these things. So like, these are the tools that you have. And it's often tools that people continue to go back, you know? So Neve boards were around mm-hmm. at the time you had bog echo you had you know all that stuff i'm just looking at some dates here let's figure some stuff out <laughs> oh yeah let's let's go well like uh, yeah, some of my favorite recordings uh i mean so much nina simone right pre-68 okay okay i'm so much but what is it about the nina simone records that you like it's not based on recording you no know, you're you're, you're right no but there is, is a vibe it? in the way they they captured the music sure um is it that i mean there's great jelly roll morton stuff too and that's you know hundred years ago. Yeah. And yeah. And how's the recording? Pretty great. No. Do you listen to it? Say, I mean, man, was... I want a more high-fi version of this. Seems I don't like know, right? Hear, if... Like you hear modern jazz recorded well or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hey, it kind of sounds a little lame. I mean, unless it's they're really good, which there's plenty of really great people. But I'm just saying, even the most basic recorded, you know, in the 50s or something, just the vibe is cooler. The recording just imparts a vibe. Well, I, that that's when you, you get into, and this is going to get even crazier. Oh, people are going to start flipping out now, is compression. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't compressed so much. Wasn't compressed so much. Yeah, there, there's you hear you hear space. You hear space. There's times where it's just not loud, where you're like, the whole record got yeah. quiet, and yeah. it gets really loud again. It's exciting. But even some yeah, stuff that so, I don't think of is that dynamic. I don't even think of as dynamic. There's a few Nina Simone songs that like I'm just obsessed with, like her cover of "To Love Somebody" or another mm-hmm. one. Where there, there's a version where it's there's it's really room micy, and then there's another mix that I think is the more well known one that is a little tighter sounding. But I'm pretty sure it's the same performance. Um, and it's just the sound of the room and all the musicians in the room and the arrangement. It's fucking crazy how good it is. Okay, so it sounds like there's a record you were you were you were at a loss earlier, and then this Nina Simone seems to be pretty important to you of course it is okay it's really important what, what else we got uh and the go-tos yeah i guess i don't realize they are until i get animated then i'm just like was i just talking about that no this is great this is good um i mean waterloo sunset is another one for me sunset. what is what is google what is waterloo oh shit yes i know this okay you're the kinks the kinks man. Yeah, yeah yeah okay um yeah what is it about that album it, there's just something magical. I mean, it's such a nice, simple song. Simple, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's 1967, so yeah, we're, we're near yeah, that it, era. You know, it took me some of those chords I didn't use until I was well into my 30s. 
So it's more sophisticated than I'm saying, but what, like diminished seventh stuff. I think that might be the one. Maybe an yeah. E something diminished something. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a simple, beautiful song, and just the the vibe of the recording and those backup vocals kills me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you need a manly compressor, <laughs> and you need you need all that's the gear that's missing. Is a warm audio. That's a joke. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like the song so much that I walked over the Waterloo Bridge and. and had myself a think. Oh, okay. I said this on another pod where like when I first moved to New York, I think it's a bridge. There's a station there and then there's a bridge. There's water. Yeah. There's Waterloo station. Yeah. Um, when I first moved to New York, I had an iPod and I basically made my own soundtrack around specific landmarks. You know, I wanted to, you know, go, (laughs) you know, listen to Paul Simon when he's talking about, you know, whatever and, and go, Oh, you know, this is, was Dylan here? Was this when he wrote some of his stuff? Mm-hmm. And, you know, walked around listening to like old Interpol. And I think like, yeah, this was, you know, and then listening to like, is this it and stuff and just walking around where I, I had just enough connection because I had, you know, music, but I also had the energy and everything around me and it totally changed I everything. Love, and now I love stuff like that. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think I get that anymore with, with music now because it's on, but it's on my phone. But then some ding dong texts me about, you know. Oh, you can't get lost in the moment. Like, you, you can't I can't get lost that. in the moment. No, I can't. I thought, I thought, it's I thought you, that was a dig on St. Louis. No. There's just nowhere for no. you to go. Now I got Chuck Berry's dead body rolling around back there. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely did that a lot. I mean, I still go to places where there's famous Ramones photos taken. Okay. Like in alleyways, like around where CB's was. Yeah. Like. Whenever I'm back in New York. And what, what do you feel? I mean, what do I feel? Well, it's changed a lot, but I feel connected. Wait, did this, did this happen pre, this happened pre-parenthood? <laughs> yeah. What this do, isn't in my what do you think, dad phase. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think the, the dad phase has brought out to you as a musician that you didn't expect? I'm not sure. I don't know that. Maybe let me think about it. Yeah. If you, if you had to reevaluate on like, I don't know, stuff that, stuff that maybe you're introducing, right? So frozen didn't work. Well, I mean, that's the only fine. thing that's worked that I've tried is the Beatles. So oh. I, I watched yellow submarine for the first time. I'd never seen it to show it to her. Most okay. of the time she says, daddy, I'm scared, but yeah. all together now is her favorite song now. So she, I just need to go to that oh. section. Okay. And this, yellow. have you played her the white album? I don't think so. I don't know if she's ready for it. White Album has got the most goofy, kid-friendly songs oh, of any right. Beatles, I think. Bungalow Bill, Obladi, Oblada. A lot of you know. You don't have to tell her what why they're written about. Yeah, but you know, or I mean, what? I play music around her all the time, and she's usually just wants me to put Bluey on. Hey, or that's better than Blippy. I don't know what that is. Well, Blippy, you're dodging a bullet. Blippy's like a wannabe um, Mr. Rogers impersonator guy who's just very, very gregarious and animated. Um, you know, Bluey is a fin- fantastic show. You got to get show. her on. On you got to get her on Daniel Tiger. She does Daniel get some Tiger. Fred. Yeah, that's big. I play box. it's you. I like on guitar to my kids all the time. We've got this little box lo- like Yoto. Do you know this thing? Like you put a card in it. Yes. Got one, I bought her one with a Daniel Tiger card. So if I get in the okay. car and she wants me to play something on the radio, stereo, whatever. Um, if I give her the box, if she's got her own thing, then I can listen to my own music up front. So it's like, I have to distract her with that. Oh. And then I can listen to okay. college radio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> college radio. Dad, what is it? It's the Velvet Underground. Be quiet. I found a college <laughs> radio station that's amazing. Oh yeah. What's, what's the college radio hey, station? It's all student run. 
from what I can tell. So there's no, uh, I don't know, it just feels like there's no agenda. They just play whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what do you gravitate towards that, given you know, you're not a student anymore? It sounds like you've, you've had a love for DIY, which is what brought you into the music mm-hmm. industry still. anyway. But you're, it sounds like you're still connecting the most with the college radio stuff, which is somewhat meandering, wandering art fumbles. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's my favorite stuff. Okay. The the meandering. I mean, just like the 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 fun of the discovery, and I think it's on topic. But yeah, I feel like I used to compartmentalize different genres too, or like, oh, those are the mm. punk kids. Those are the these kids. Like, I'm more of this type of kid. And as you get older and you start mixing and playing in bands and realizing like, everyone likes everything, there's just like so much excitement and that discovery and that like self acceptance of like of just liking it all and just. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. So I think that's something that streaming music brought mm-hmm. that most other things weren't able to. Uh, yeah, I definitely noticed that in, in younger generations. People just yeah. have amazing, cool references. Like, they know yes. a lot of the stuff. Yeah, because I'm, I'm not really a huge fan of streaming based around the business part of it. And I believe artists should be paid more for it on, on the record here. But, um, you know, like for me, and I've said this before, how I, how I get music is sometimes I'll use streaming as a radio. And if I like it, I'll try to buy it on Bandcamp or from a record store. And I usually will buy the LP, even though I haven't had a working record player in a while. <laughs> it's kind of you. Yeah. Well, it's cause like, it's, it's better. It's, it's more fun. I feel like it's going to last longer, even mm-hmm. though it may or may not. Um, and then I'll listen to stuff once I've owned it and I feel better about that. I'll go and I'll listen to things on, uh, uh, on like my, my little DAC here so I can do lossless or whatever. Um, which my editor is going to message and call out because I mention these things all the freaking time. I tell everyone to listen to music on a DAC versus their. I don't even know what it is. Did they give you a free one yet? Or is that what you're going? No, no, this is just this little, it's called the dragonfly. It's a little, um, digital audio or digital analog converter so I can listen to, you know, 48K lossless, you know, on way better headphones. Sounds worth it. You know, well, if you're listening to LP, someone was like, well, what bit rate am I listening to if I'm listening to like an actual record? And it's like infinite. (laughs) There is no bit rate necessarily when you when you're listening to an analog recording. Analog recording, Um, cut analog. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, but like, anyway, how I look and approach music is, is, is often through that. And I think that the one thing that I love about streaming is all of a sudden I can hear Schubert and Bach mm-hmm. and then I can go connect the dots to some new pornographer song, right? <laughs> or some sort of thing that like, yeah, that like Carl Newman did. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can make those references. I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Carl's. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I got to interact with him a bunch of times at Matador when I was at Beggars. But I want to um, know the Schubert uh, connection. Well, I, so earlier stuff was usually it was like Beethoven and Bach. I know that one that da, na, 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 there may be 10 or 12, mm-hmm. um, I think was, I think that was Bach um, that he was riffing off of. And then um, I was asking him like other classical people to check mm-hmm. out. And this is, you know, Patrick Amory, who is the head of uh, one of the co-heads of, of Matador, who's a genius in his own right and makes incredible mixes was like, oh yeah, you got to check out Schubert. Like, he was always the most overlooked. And I did, and it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. I love, I love that, this like, stuff. I, yeah, I would have never had it if it wasn't for streaming, you know? I mean, because what am I going to... I'm not going to go to the library. I don't have time. And I don't know where to find where to dig in. So um, it's just, you know, it's it's stuff like that that I, that I truly, truly love. And I think it makes me feel more connected to musicians and writers when I can also get their sources. Totally. In a way, you know? Yeah. For me, um, Spotify was all about 
the early years was like, ooh, remember that thing I liked in high school? Was that any good? <laughs> do you think it's on Spotify? And I'll sing like yeah. half a song and be like, ooh. Well, do, that's brought a lot of bands back on the road. I know. It's great. You think Eve Six and those dudes, <laughs> like, I mean, power to them. Like, Johnny Resnick of the Goo Goo Dolls is like crushing it right now doing weekend shows. Good for him. I know. I think it's great. I don't say it to belittle at all. It's awesome. I want to, I want to go see Hootie and the Blowfish, man. I'll go pay 200 bucks to see Darius Rucker and the crew blast. Really? Hold my hand. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking at my sorry, that may not be the indie rock thing, you know, you're 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 anticipating, but that shit slaps. Anna Jane. Yeah. Dive dive back into cracked review after this. Nah. Almost music. (laughs) That's not it's just not gonna happen. But um I'll keep it in mind if it comes on. I won't turn it off. Oh, what a lovingly diplomatic (laughs) because I know there's no no way it's gonna fucking come on. Yeah, well of course it's not gonna come on. Your algo is it's, is is removed Tootie, from, removed your, tootie. from your thing. Yeah. Although wait wait till Frozen makes its way in there. It's just gonna happen. Um, I I'm a big Raffi fan. I don't know if you. No, got, that's old yeah. stuff. Down by the bay. Down by yeah. the bay. There's a uh, Raffi quiet, I mean, which time. is an older song. This is children's music, but there's a quiet time record, and it's all his like like kind of sadder, just sweet slow songs. It's really nice. Really, yeah, he's just good. Simple. Some of you, you remind Have me you actually. Any, I think, I would love to, he could do like a John Cale cover album. They have kind of okay. similar voices now, and like some of the writing yeah. style. Yeah. Okay. Check out Raffi Douglas Mountain and tell me you couldn't Raffy hear John Douglas Cale Mountain. doing that. This goes back to the fact that I think almost all music, you can find good qualities in it, especially as you get older. Because I think you're, I, I assume your, your ego has evolved enough that it's not so much about competition That's when you hear it. a song, right? I mean, well, but you're still looking at this totally. as I mean, how, how did this artist like interpret Mixer, it? producer, and just, yeah, it's getting older. Yeah. Yeah, you can always find the good. And even if something connects with a lot of people and makes a lot of people happy, like yeah. it's hard for me to find fault with it, though I plenty I still can. Well, I've yeah, I mean, I find fault with a lot of current new, new, new music. Like I It's a dangerous road though. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm not gonna try to call out like but I don't know, like some of the bands of like things that people are making in their bedroom that turn into just giant anthematic stuff. I approach with maybe a little bit more prejudice than I should because I'm still a person who it's like, well, if too many people like it, is it good? Mm -hmm. You know, but I'm trying to find a way to push back on that because obviously I love the Beatles, which is one of the greatest bands and largest bands in history. Still children are finding out about them and getting into it. Yeah, you know, and I've gotten, I got way back into Elvis, but more just so I could understand the bizarro, incredible musicianship you know, of that was going on in his band. A couple of years ago at Thanksgiving, my dad, who's in his 80s now, okay. um, conservative guy, was like in front of the whole family. Beatles came up because everyone loves the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Beatles, I remember yeah. the Beatles. That music doesn't last. Dad. We're like, dad, it's 50-year-old music at this point. It lasted. Yeah, yeah. They won. They won. You <laughs> lost, buddy. They won. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, like that, that, that turns into a different with these okay. uh, bedroom people. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, that, well, yeah, and I don't, it's not that I don't think that music lasts. I just, I don't know. It's hard for me to empathize. I think also as I've gotten older in a weird way, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can empathize with that person mm-hmm. I, in a weird way. I think I'm curious if you feel this way too, especially with Woods is there's more of a demand of like a personal connection. I feel like with with new with new artists and new new musicians and even now you know like for me I don't you know I, I don't care about whatever other things that we can connect on mm-hmm. because I'm like well I got into them at this part of my life and that's still where I go when I try to connect with Woods is when I'm cruising around and I go to Glasslands or uh-huh. something even though it doesn't exist yeah I, a friend of mine was just 
was like tweeting about this idea of your whole press campaign around a record needs to be personal information. Yes. And there isn't a lot of other, or maybe there is, I don't know, this is a question. Are there art forms? Like when you release a movie, do you have to say how your divorce or someone dying influenced? Mm, well, yes and no. I mean, I think what people want to connect on is the human condition. Yes. Right? No, I'm serious. Right. I mean, what, I what, what brings you and I together? Yeah. yeah, what brings you and I together is I can't relate or understand how your brain works or the music you've made or why you choose to play music the way you can. But I can okay. relate on getting an order wrong at a restaurant, at having a parent, at, you know, music is for many ways is where we'll bring people together based on their critiques, you know, where you and I can argue over whether or not a song is recorded well or written well is fine. But like when for if you're a new band, I mean, the fact that when you mentioned that you're like, yeah, I, you know, I became a parent in the pandemic that that just opens your connection to a gajillion people who may not ever look at woods at all, but they can look at the challenge of being a parent and how that changes how you relate to people because you soften, you know, and, and you care and it activates a thing in your brain and your body that you didn't know existed. And it's this compassion thing that in most cases that I think stereotypically many people think of musicians that they never really had to, that muscle to exercise because you're, you're constantly focused on fending for yourself and you end up building walls around yourself. When all of a sudden you find out that people's arms are out because they want to hold you versus push you away, is that really fucking rocks your world. Mm -hmm. And that's the stuff that people connect over. So Do you find yourself talking to adults, not like their children, but like, it, you know, with a little bit of that, not in a condescending way, but just like you're having a big feeling. I'm going to give you some space. <laughs> uh, probably just my wife. Out. Yeah. It's usually yeah, the because closest. Yeah. Yeah. I would say stuff like that. My mom, you know, I think you also hit a level of adulthood where you parent your parents. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're there too. It's Dad hard. Beatles are good. Yeah. Still, but see, still but, not on the Beatles train. Well, but that, that's that that changes your art, right? Uh, having a dad that doesn't like the Beatles? No, I mean, I think the the under the surface is is the struggle to make a connection and being in a position now where you probably think that you know more about certain stuff than your dad does. Definitely. He thinks he, that, he knows a lot is, more about the music industry than I do because he worked at a power company in the 80s and 90s. Um, okay. So I'm joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but he loves to give me a... Oh, I thought you meant like a power like music <laughs> industry. I was like, oh, he's a Geffen guy. No, okay. No. <laughs> but like that's that's a thing and i think that part of the human condition is what people want to connect over in a weird way that's why podcasts people love podcasts is not so much over you know some bizarro hot take it's it's the struggle of getting by and the the little joys and things that we get in that part of our life you were saying something about realizing people have their arms open to you but you like you thought mm -hmm. you had to fight and i was at i was i saw some stand-up comedy last night and i was kind of thinking about that i've heard other people say it where like the room wants you to succeed but you can kind of see on people uh you know like moments of insecurity or like people you know like i mean i can imagine yeah how hard that is but yeah, I was just thinking, I was like, oh, everybody here is doesn't want this person to fail. Like, it's awkward if they fail. So it's just kind right? of funny to like watch that, but still see people. And it's just like so human to, to maybe not believe that fully. Yeah. And well, because you're trained otherwise to defend yourself, right? There's like some animal instincts that kick in. Like how many times when you were younger, did you go see a band that opened for you? And you're like, fuck, I don't know. Should I, should I watch this opening band? Is that, is that the right thing to do? 
I remember when my dad was in a band and we played with bands and I would always take it a little bit personal when the band that we opened for peaced out and didn't give a shit about us. <laughs> Cause I was like, yo, we're here. We're, aren't we in this together? Mm-hmm. And you know, and that stuff used to bug me. And then I was like, oh wait, these dudes just got stuff going on. They just got other things going mm-hmm. on in their life. I can't, I can't start to make this stuff up and try to hold things against people and write stories that didn't exist. Yeah, take it personally, make a whole backstory. Bingo. Such a waste of time. It, yeah, but it also, at the same time, it made me think, well, that I was evaluating that part of them. I wonder if they're evaluating that part of me. Mm. And so, I mean, I think that's, that's the thing that I was like, okay, well then, you know, should I do this? Should I, you know, and I never became a level of musicianship that, it mattered, yeah. right? But in other areas of my professional life, I think about that all the time. How people think about you? No, not necessarily how people think about me, but just like the the my my actions, intentional and or not intentional, I don't have control over how they're interpreted. No, yeah, it's a hard it's a yeah. hard one, but uh, yeah, right? but it's so healthy and it's so freeing. Yeah. Uh, but it requires a level that you're trusting that you're a good person too, right? Well, that's, that's the other thing. Is, yeah. That's what's difficult. And over the past, I mean, there's an article that came out in the Atlantic like a week or so ago that's basically like, I think it's called How America Got Me. <laughs> and I think there's also an assumption now where people just assume that no one has their best intentions. Mm-hmm. And the only place, here's con- to connect this with music, where I, I think people genuinely are all rooting for the people on stage is yeah, is most cases uh, music and comedy. You don't want to see a band bomb. No. Yeah, you don't want to see. I want to see make a mistake bomb. and handle it well. That's really fun. Well, you want to. See, yeah, you want to see the human condition, totally. right? But you want to see success in uh-huh. it. You said handle. It's a good thing it well. to remember too when you're on stage and you mess up. Yeah, you know, I mean. I saw, I remember one time, I don't know who I saw. It was like Ben Queller, you know, and he comes out and he's playing a song and he has his guitar strings break. First song. You know, and that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. First song. You know, I think it was on the On My Way tour. His guitar strings break and he was like, man. And he did, and he, at the, I don't think he had a roadie at the time. <laughs> and so he has stopped and he just changed his strings and went back on. And like, that was cool. Yeah. Cause it was like a moment of, you remember unplanned that. You're talking about it now. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I there know. I think it's easy for musicians to just get in your head. I mean, I've definitely done it. Like things aren't going right. You can get in your head. Like, this sucks if yeah. you're staring at me. Just remember, everyone's, they're on your side. Unless you're opening for someone and nobody's on your side. And, They'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to filling in the blanks for other people, you know, assuming what they're thinking. Well, bingo. And I mean, that was the thing. Like I was, um, yeah, I talked to Andrew Bird about this and he's like, well, I just try to pretend that the people aren't there. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, but what about the energy exchange? You know, and it's weird. I was like, man, this guy has been a road warrior for that long. And he's still kind of creating a bit of a barrier mm-hmm. for himself, which I, I'm sure came over time. But I, I like that. That's always really interesting. And so, you know, to put that all together, like now when I go back and re-listen to this wood stuff, thinking that like, okay, you guys made this in a house. Okay. Jarvis had, you know, had recently become a parent. How did that affect what you were doing? Like, do you think about your kids listening to this and questioning what you do, you know, I mean, it's just like, there's all this additional subcontext. I think that's there that I often wonder how that changes people's music. Mm. Yeah. I wonder it didn't. I mean, when we were making it, I didn't think about it. I would definitely take breaks to FaceTime and sure. My kid and Jeremy's got a kid too. He's a little bit older. Um, yeah. But once I hang up the phone, I'm like, I'm back with it. I'm back with the band. Do you think touring is going to be easier with, the fam back there, like, um, I don't know. Probably be a lot of stressful phone calls, uh, but hopefully it will be a good release and relief from, yeah. from the grind of parenting. You yeah, know? which Did, I love, you, but it you know every day is kind of, can be kind of the same unless you make a 
strong effort to make it not the same if you want that. Oh, I no, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. I mean, that's I'm I'm with you on that. Like my days revolve around pickups and drop offs and the dread of the freedom of after 8 p.m. at night and the dread of 6 a.m. the next morning. Yeah. It was very real. Yeah. Going to bed early is great if you can do but it. But how do you get to unwind? How do you unwind at night? I've been just, you know, I, I was kind of struggling with that. And um, earlier in the summer, which is feeling low energy, just working and kind of trying to parent not much else. But lately, I've just been building in times just for me. Just if I can finish work kind of early and just go to a movie while my kid is at daycare, daytime stuff. Oh. Couple weeks ago, you a solo movie guy? Yes, I am now. Wow! Or go to a coffee shop and read for an hour. Just finish work an hour early if I can. A lot of times I mix by myself. So uh, yeah, if I if I can do it, that, yeah. that's my summer vacation. Is like a summer Friday and or like go, go to the beach or just try to make time because otherwise, yeah, every day is the same. Even when I'm working and, and I love what I do, just go to the studio, open up a session, work on it, open up a mix. You know, it can get samey. So you got to, yeah. I mean, even within work, I need to try different techniques in mixing just to make it feel fresh. And then same outside of life. Yeah, it's, it's real. And it's very, I don't know. I think I wrestle with that stuff quite a bit um, of trying to figure out like what my disconnect is. You know, like I got, I got a Criterion edition nice. membership and I've just been like watching a bunch of old movies that, you know, like I got into like Tati and, you know, cause I was like, I don't really watch stuff anymore without a phone in my hand. I'm like, what would it look like to set that down and be a normal That's person? That's what the theater is good. You have the shame it. of the phone. You got to put it away. Oh my God. I never thought of that. Got to go to the theater. I went to see Oppenheimer. Okay. I was the only person in the theater. There was what? no one there to shame me. It was one o'clock on a Friday. Okay. And you were in. You I still, in. I still you put like the it? phone down. Yeah, I did like it. I'd seen Past Lives okay. a few weeks earlier. Have you seen that? I you should not. see Past Lives. I loved it. Um, What else? There's another. What else did I watch recently that I really, really liked? It wasn't a new movie. Okay. Yeah. It was Red Shoes. Oh, I don't know it. Uh, so, um, Red Shoes is, I want to find out when exactly it came out. Um, okay, it came out in 1948. But the biggest thing about the Red Shoes is um, it was basically this movie that like Spielberg and Martin Scorsese and all those people talked about is like, this is what got me into filmmaking. Oh. You know, I mean, it's a love story, like any, you know, true timeless story. Right. And it was the color of it is incredible. Um, I mean, it's just yeah, it's it's about this dancer. But um it's it's freaking crazy, crazy good. And it's it's also one of those movies, it's like when people tell you about, I don't know, like a classic album where like I didn't get into pet sounds until way later in my life because everyone's like, You gotta listen to pet sounds. And I was like, Shut up, man. And then I heard it and I was like, Oh damn. You know, but like that's that's that the right music for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. So but I mean it just it just knocks me off my oh, feet. Shit, I gotta watch um, it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a movie that came out, you know, again, the late forties, early fifties. And so there's a, there's a pace that is somewhat uncomfortable, but if you're used to watching older movies where the pace is longer, I watched 12 and things 12 take Angry more Men time last week. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. I forget what year that is, but that's super, that's black and white. That's the yeah. jury, right? Yeah. That's an incredible. Yeah. Film. I was going to um, Sydney Lamette tear. Yeah. Okay. D did you watch, um, the verdict? Then? I did. It was the first time I'd seen it. <sighs> Good. Verdict is a, uh, yeah, it's really good. And it, it, you know, it's also, that was a time when Newman wasn't, wasn't really drinking that much. And so obviously drinking you know, in the movie, yeah. spoiler alert, he's drinking in the movie, <laughs> you know, quite a bit smashing his hard boiled eggs, but like, oh, that's, you know, right. that, that's oh yeah. Yeah. That bar. Bar, that's like yeah, a New York bar. I think it's supposed to be, that's Boston. The movie's supposed to be Boston. Yeah. But I think yeah. that's in seven A or seven, that bar. I think so. 
But there's there's a part in that movie. Yeah, that movie, the pace of that is also really slow. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't end the way you want anything to end. And you're also like, is there, are things better? Are things not? Is the character, you know, there's, there's a, and that, I don't know if that's a LeMay thing or just an older movie thing, but there's like, there's unfinished mm-hmm. work. And, and many of us just want constant resolution that we just don't get. Yeah, but yeah. My wife was saying she felt the same way about that, the ending of that movie, but she felt the same way about uh, 12 Angry Men. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, that it just wrapped up, seemed like it wrapped up quickly. I, I don't know. I was into it. I loved it. Yeah. It's good that you guys got to watch it together, or it sounds like yes. you did. Did you? Yeah. But I also, I, wa- I rewatched go. Glengarry Glen Ross a couple nights ago. Okay. I didn't like it the second or third time I watched it. I get all the things, but you're just like, come on. Man. I, at first, I was like, oh, maybe this isn't like amazing as I thought it was. <laughs> But then once it got going, okay. I was pretty sucked in. Something about Jack Lemon. You just want him to be grumpy old men? No, no, no. Is that what Jimmy you want? Or you is want fucking perfect to me. Like just the oh, okay. same in uh, what's the Raymond Carver book or short stories they turned into a movie? Shortcuts? Oh, mm, not now. sure. He just does a similar kind of thing, like sort of like a pathetic old man who's, who's lying and desperate. And he just oh. does it so well. It kills me. He's so good. Oh, man, I got to check it out. And uh, before the end of uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, when he's acting like he, I, I don't want, I'm saying like no spoilers to like a 30 year old movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before they find out he did it and he's cursing off his yeah. boss. I mean, that performance is great. Kills yeah, me. That's true. That's true. I rewatched Getting Odd in the Couple because you mentioned Jack Lemmon. Mm-hmm. That, that holds up pretty well too, especially some of the mm-hmm. comedy things. But there's also weird, you know, there's weird stuff to it. But yeah, the, the Odd Couple, because it's a Neil Simon play, but like the Odd Couple movie with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon, the two bachelors living in New York. Was Walter Matthau in... No, okay. Walter Matthau was yeah, in a so bunch Yeah, so I haven't seen his face in you a while. Know? Yeah, it looks like he got punched in the face I'm all the time. That was kind of his his face. Yeah. Before we were rapping, last time you were like, hey, there was stuff I wanted to ask you about. And you had mentioned watches. Oh, I was just kind of joking. But uh, yeah, I was just going to make fun of watches. Go for it. I, I don't have any anything to say, actually. <laughs> um, I'm wearing one. I'm wearing a Casio. Yeah. I just noticed, I looked at your link, LinkedIn. I was going to say LinkedInpedia. I looked uh, at your LinkedInpedia. Yeah. yeah. And um, at your LinkedIn page, and there was several things about watches in there. Yes. I don't remember what they are. You're fine. You're not missing anything. I just remember being at a, being at a party and two guys boring me to death talking about their watches um that sounds about right i yeah. would say yeah i mean it's the same way someone's gonna talk about i don't know needles and stereo configurations and whether or not it's a tonoy versus an ns10 i mean i've done it i've been that guy yeah i don't know i liked watches in a weird way just i mean i've said this before like they're just little fun mechanical they're like my baseball cards you know mm-hmm. they're I think, like anything, though, the industry and subculture around it is toxic and horrible. So, so you don't like it. The conversation I heard, they were more playing into the uh, the status. Oh, absolutely. Of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's like a... And maybe the subtleties I didn't even know existed. I mean, what, they're what watches... you're telling other people, the signal you're putting out to the world by the kind of watch you're wearing. Yes, that's 100% true. The same way a musician, you know, whether you go into someone like, what's their desk? Like... You know, or what's the mm-hmm. guitar they pull out? Um, yes, I think like any object, your people are using them to signal where they want people to perceive them. And I mm-hmm. think watches are the have been for eons the the prime thing of like take me seriously. I have a Rolex sort of thing. But you like them for a different reason. Well, I yeah, and I joke about this in the sense that like I got into 
I got into it for the wrong reason. Okay. So like I didn't go to school. Um, I have no, I have no sort of like family money. I have nothing to fall back on. And I, and when I moved to New York, I had loved watches. The watch I, I had was the one that you were wearing, the A, the A18WA, the Casio, the steel, you know, digital That's watch. That's what this is? Yeah. It's a, it's a perfect watch. Beautiful watch. Um, serious. It, it really is because it, it's very simple. It's subtle. It looks timeless. You know, you, you can't place what era it's from. Um, and, uh, it also, it doesn't say too much in the best possible way. No, this was actually my wife's and I was just like, Hey, I want to look more like a grown up. Can I borrow that? Yeah. And it's been a couple of years. It's, it's great. It's, I mean, and you can also, it, it's, it's worth enough that it's important to you, but not worth so much that if anything ever were to happen to it, you'd have to, you know, file an insurance claim. But when I was younger, I got into watches because I saw how, you know, I was into clothes first and I saw how people treated me different when I was wearing different clothes. And I also loved the clothes. I loved these Dior jeans. I was into, you know, punk rock and Eddie Slamane and all that stuff. And I was like, okay. And, you know, and then I remember going to an event and all these people had really nice watches on. And I was like, man, I want people to take me serious too. I need to get a nice watch. You know, the same way a musician or someone be like, I want someone to take me serious. I want to have a good guitar. Like I want a GNL. I don't want a telly or I want a telly plus. That's my, you know, like, and so I think, um, I got into it and I say this for the wrong reasons. And over time, I realized that these were ways that people could connect to other, you know, to parents, to friends, to learning about like engineering and, you know, but at the end of the day, they're just little wearable pieces of art. And I think there are some watches that I own that I won't wear at certain times because I don't want someone to think that I'm trying to be some ostentatious clown, you know? And a lot of the stuff I've owned, I also was getting into them at a certain time that I, um, when I was getting into them, they were worth way less money than what they are worth now. And so in a way, it also funded my life and lifestyle. Like I, I was trying to acquire clothes and trying to acquire things. And these watches that I bought for way less money were all of a sudden worth a lot more. Oh, so you were selling them. Oh, yeah. And so and then, then other people and friends of mine were like, hey, can you help me find a watch? And so I was becoming this kind of like watch broker in a way. <laughs> To, to help other friends get it. And then, you know, I love and collected Seikos for a long time. I mean, they're, they're just few hundred dollar watches. And all of a sudden now these watches are like a thousand or 1500 and I've yeah. collected tons of these. And so I started, I've been slowly selling them off here and there, but then I take that money and I use it to buy a better watch or a different watch, you know? And so it's just, it's just like anyone in gear, you know, mm -hmm. you're like, okay, I got this gear, I sold it, and now I have this much money to go towards the new gear. It's like, you may not have 20 grand lying around to get the pre's that you want, but you have, you know, 18 in gear, and then you have two grand aside, and so you're just trading up. Totally. But it's tough, because if someone walks in, they're like, who's this rich dude who's got all this stuff? You know, does he know how to use it? Is he really smart? It's like, why is this guy got all this telefunken stuff? Like, what are these Royer ribbon mics and all these things that homies that he's swinging around? Or like, does he know how to use the gear he owns? It's it's just like watches. I mean, so yeah, yes. I'm I'm rich in gear. I was thinking about that. Like our, the car is just getting kind of beat up. Yep. But um, but then I'm like, eh, I bought a stand up bass. Wow. Or or but there's a box. There's a new compressor I just ordered. Yeah. I learned. My dad was a musician for a long time, and I learned that most of the gear that he had, if he wouldn't have gotten rid of it, we could like basically change my mom's life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. The the beautiful roads he had that he toured with a bunch that he actually ended up hated hating because he couldn't keep it in tune. All of his his Moogs, the he, the Opus Three, the Mini Moog, oh, wow. all that stuff. So, what years did he sell those, or did you guys? 
Um, it was like in the nineties, you know, late nineties when he was like, Oh, I can get a great weighted 82 weighted MIDI controller. I'm going to just get rid of this Rhodes. I can't, that doesn't connect to anything. Yeah. You know, Um, Oh, who needs this Farfisa? Who needs this Wurlitzer? Who needs, you know, just all these things that people love to have. Um, there was a lot of stuff that he still kept. I mean, some, some gear, a lot of like cool AKG mics and, you know, but he, he had like ADAT and 808s and and all these like stuff that's now worth a lot and like pretty timeless. Um, are ADATs are ADATs worth anything? Uh, some of the ones that he had were worth good, but like Wonder his if ADATs will come back in. They maybe right, you know. When I first got a, into recording, that was kind of the, the format. Yeah, that was popping. ADAT for and Pro Tools, that. and I was just like, who's going to need to learn Pro Tools? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he had a Studer tape machine and then a 16-track Otari oh, um, two-inch machine. You know, and these are things that are, like, the size of a room. It's, it's tough. I have an to- Atari two-inch machine. Do you really? Yeah, right yeah. Let me t- tilt the camera. Can you see it? Holy shit. Yeah, man, that's sick. Oh. That's that really nice. Similar? Or he had his a bigger, was, older one? His was bigger. It was white, and uh, the, the tape was, was vertical. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, or, excuse me, it was horizontal. It was, it was all hmm. flat. Um. But yeah, he he used that, and then he had a what did he have? I think he had like an Amec, or and then he, and then he upgraded that to like a Mackie board, you know. So it was like <laughs> things that you think is better, but isn't. Oh, so tragic. Yeah. Um, on the watch thing, I think like this watch. The reason why I started wearing it, I I think it was because my dad had a similar watch. There you go. Or probably still does. But that yeah. was like at some point in my life, I was like, I want that. See? Just felt the pull to it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I still keep the watch that my dad wore at my desk, and it doesn't work. It's broken. Mm. But, you know, I have it. And then I have a bunch of other fucking stupid watches sitting here, which I love, and I will switch and swap around, you know, I think I'm days. into watches now. It's, I mean, it's just, it's, if you like gear, you know, it, it just kind of makes its way into there. Um, and they're just, and I, again, I think the fun thing about it is you don't, you can get, crazy nuts high-end stuff if you want to go buy a hundred thousand dollar rolex it's out there but you can also get a incredible seiko for a couple hundred bucks and i think in terms of like the watch world it's just as respected and as welcomed and you know what is the coolest looking watch oh that's a tough that's like saying what's the best album um Ah. i mean it's like what's your what's your okay you see my you see my aesthetic yeah um You you have a hunch from all the music we've talked about i mean if you're going to tour and you're going to get nuts, I think like the Seiko fives are great because you can actually go and you could fall off the stage in it and wear it. And it's still good. The fun ones are like the old Seiko SKX, which are really, really like workhorse watches. Now, some of those are like 1500, 2000 bucks, but for a while they were like 125, Which one was that? Seiko SKX 007. Um, I can find you some watch. I'll send you a watch, man. I'm serious. I literally got tons of watches all over here. You can wear fives. I'm looking at some pictures. Yeah, there's some good stuff. I mean, there's good stuff out there. There's also, I'll say this too, like anything else, there's a lot of shit out there. So, I mean, you know, but at the end of the day, just like with gear or a record or anything, if it means the most to you and you own it, then who cares? You know, I mean, there's there's stuff that I own watch wise or whatever that I stand behind that I still think is great, despite a million people thinking, you know, it sucks. It's like Captain Beefheart, you know, you could just want to have an opinion or, or people like all of a sudden <laughs> like getting into Zappa and then hating it. It's, it's just like that. I am trying to buy a new guitar for tour okay. just because I don't want anything to 
I don't want to break an expensive guitar. Yeah. And when Woods was touring hard, I felt like I just bought guitars and used them and didn't really think about that. Well, now you're a dad. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. I'm not like, oh man, if I break this guitar, my kid's going to, can't go to the dentist. Well, no, uh, but I think there's, there's things in there where like how you think about your financial priorities mm-hmm. shift. When- I'm more of like, I just want to be able to record with this guitar and have this in the studio when a band comes in. Mm. And if an airline snaps it in half, I'm going to be pretty bummed. Yeah. Yeah. That's happened with me. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at like reissues of the guitars I have. Dude, I'm like, okay, you know what? A Mexican telly is not bad at all. And it's not, not being derogatory. That's from the Mexico factory for folks who, yeah, they're great. They're great. I I had a Tex-Mex or a, a, it was a Nashville telly or whatever with the Tex-Mex pickups on there. And then I just swapped everything out. I toured with that a bunch. It was awesome. Oh, USA. Okay. Oh, you got the Corona Strat or whatever. The yeah, I love American that ones. thing. 90s. Yeah, it's good. It's a good era. But those things 90s are is good. Everything's getting more and more expensive, now. hard to find. Yeah, especially pedals. Do you got like a crazy pedal board? No, I'm kind of minimal pedals. But now that with some touring coming up, I need to assemble it. So I'm texting friends who are a little more road dogs than me. Yeah. You're like, what do you use for this? What do you use for that? What kind of what power is your, are you using? Yeah, I was going to say, what's your what's your rig now? I mean, it's for a while, it was just, you know, a w- little one spot powering a uh, a memory man. Well, that nice. has its own power. Yep. But I have an old one, and I don't want to tour with that because I use it for delay in the studio, and I love it. And I, mm-hmm. I have two, and I got one repaired. It doesn't sound the same. So Ooh. I don't want to tour with the one that still sounds good anymore, even though the knobs are so big, and I got really into... I put some grip tape on it and um, yeah, we just use my feet to be constantly changing sounds. Um, the new DL4 sound good. Oh, I just bought the Strymon. Uh, I bought their delay. They're like tape delay. thing. Oh, wow. Okay. And an expression pedal. So I don't have to twist the knobs of my feet and break them anymore. Smart. We'll see how that works. It feels, yeah. a, little, it feels a little extra to me, but we'll see. Yeah. Interesting. Do you ever play with like an envelope filter and stuff too? No. No? Nope. Interesting. Okay. Tremolos, delays, reverbs. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what's your, what's the amp? What's your rig? You're not um, bringing a Dumble out there. No, um, Fender Deluxe, like one of those hot rod. The new yeah. Ones. They sound great. Yeah. And they don't break that easily. Yeah. In my experience. I toured with my Princeton for a while and uh, I don't know, it just wasn't loud enough. I told myself I'd get it in the monitors and it'd be fine. But then once we start going, I just crank it to 10 and it's just kind of breaks up too much. Wait, that's a 10 inch? I believe so. Yeah. Damn. I don't know. Yeah. The, see, road gear, I mean, you think watches are nuts. Music gear is crazy. Yeah. That's the thing. I used to just buy nice stuff and just, I was always on tour, so I didn't really think about it. Now that I've had a break, I'm like, I, I like having this stuff for the studio and I want to keep it in good shape. Heard. Heard. Hmm. It's a tough What's, one. Do you think about what's your, your tour fits, your tour clothes? No, I mean, I will the day before, but kind of just whatever whatever phase I'm in. What's the phase you're in right now? Um, I mean, pants, I've been just, it's so hot. So these mollusk, I forget what they're called. Do you know that surf shop? Mm-hmm. Mollusk, yeah. But some of these, just these like light khakis, chino, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, wait, khaki's a color? Khaki is a color, but okay. it, khaki. Chino, I think is the word people, I was looking for. Yeah, people will say khakis. You know, that's a gap thing from the 90s where everyone is called Chinos in the 90s. Yeah. So that, but if it's a little colder, you know, probably multiple pairs of Wranglers. Wranglers. Yeah. Okay. See, this is a, that's very distinctive. The Wrangler cowboy cut is a very, uh, if you know, you know. Yeah. People should know. They're cheap and great. Yeah. High waist. High waist. Yeah. I love a high waist. That's how I know it's getting older. No, I mean, that's, that's still. The waist comes up. The guitar strap, the guitar gets higher. Oh yeah. Yeah. What was his face? Uh, It was, I think it was like Dave Longstreth from Dirty Projectors. 
I remember when, when I first saw them play and his guitar was like up to his chin. <laughs> I do feel like you there's know. a phase. I feel like Dwyer OCs. Yeah. A lot of people. It's yeah. nice. I mean, it's in the 90s, everyone had the guitar so low. Uh, thank God people made having guitars higher look cool. Yeah. Because well, I mean, it's, it's easier to play the fucking thing. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, that's my... I'm, I was like, I'm oh, never, look, it's so much easier. Yeah, I'm always above the 12th fret. So I'm, you know, I, I had my stuff pretty high versus the other people who are just soloing, you know, like your slash all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing that shit. I'm playing chords, man. <laughs> yeah, I think I was just brainwashed by the 90s. You have to have it low. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I was heard it's either below or above your, your privates. Okay. Not yeah. on top of. No? Nope. Interesting. So, do, you wear, do you wear a lower belt? Lower or higher? Yeah. Do you have like a... Don't you have well, to? No, oh, no. I mean, you can. I met. Uh, who was I talking to? And they were like, "Oh, I'm I always, never wear a belt when I play because I don't want to scratch up the back of my guitar." That's smart. Yeah, but I think that's cool when I buy a used guitar and the back has some belt marks on it. Oh yeah, it's, it's like, all it's, it's scratched lived. to shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And do you just play with like regular Fenders or stuff? Or you're not playing any of the heavy Les Paul stuff. Um, this I'll show you. This has been my guitar. This was like my touring guitar forever. This Guild Starfire Three. Whoa, '60s. Um, but yeah, as so the more I use it in the studio, the more, I mean, they make reissues that people seem to like. That's not going want, on the I just, road. I mean, this has been on the road for so long. Maybe it will. I'll see how I feel day of. Oh man. Cause I have yeah. this Strat and I love it, but aesthetically something repels me, but I love how it sounds. The Strat, it's a little too buddy Holly for you. You got, you want that edge. You want that arch top vibe. Yeah. Something about it. I haven't really dissected it too much, but yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I see pictures. Like if I get a haircut, I'm like, that doesn't look like me. <laughs> When I see myself with the, the strat, I'm like, "Who's that?" Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm yeah. I'm with you. I wanted to get an SG for a while, and uh, I just I never thought about owning an SG. But yeah, so it was a great guitar, and uh, but then I was like, "All my stuff's too clean and twangy. I don't need that big ass humbucker." So, <laughs> oh, you want it to be clean and twangy? Yeah, everything I yeah. play is clean and twangy. I, I use very little effects. I just play. I'm you know, but I'm not an actual musician. Like you, I'm like yeah. play songs for the kids. Serious, whatever. That, that's great. I wish I played more music for my kid. You can, you can always change, my friend. I will do it. Bust out, bust out some. Uh... The scary thing is, like, there's going to be a time. My friend said this because his kids are older. He's like, you're going to play songs that you like and that are important to you, and your kid is not going to like it. Mm-hmm. I'm I, that hasn't happened yet, and I am terrified of that. That's true. I mean, she's, she's, my daughter's pretty indifferent to a lot of it, but we'll latch on a certain song. Yeah. Beatles, mostly just the Beatles. Yeah. That's, you're safe there. But if you start getting into whatever, you're like, oh, check this out. Here's this crazy recording. Here's this Peter Gabriel thing, whatever. And you're trying <laughs> to get him to get it. And then you're, and all of a sudden, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I was listening to Supreme Clientele before we did this interview. I don't know if she's heard it yet. And I think that should change tonight. There you go. Is she old enough to like, actually, respond verbally to these things um yeah okay but it's still pretty basic she she's two in a few months so oh okay could be like i don't like this most like she'll hear music and it'll remind her of music she wants to hear mm. so she'll hear like a rock song and be like i want beatles which means i want all together now yeah great great underrated Beatles song mm-hmm. that's that's an, a b-side outtake right all together that's now? yellow submarine oh yeah great great one back to the beatles that's a good one. Yeah. All Too Much is on there, right? Hey Bulldog. Hey Bulldog. What excellent track. Hey Bulldog. That's a Lennon song. Yeah, hell yeah, it is. Yeah. That's a top one for me, too. That's up there. Yeah. Hey Bulldog is really good. Um, yeah, I was going to say White Album is uh, what my kids listen to because they're all goofy songs. White Album. Yeah. But I mean, you don't want to be like, happiness is a warm gun, you know? So like. Maybe she needs to, to chew on that one for a little to bit. To wake up to <laughs> Yeah. 
Well, Jarvis, I've taken up an absurd amount. Yeah, of I got time. somebody here in five minutes, but I was pushing this to the end because I'm having fun. Okay, thanks I, so much for doing this. Thanks I for cannot me. thank you enough. Yes, but thank you so much. <laughs> That's it for this week. Thanks to Jarvis for coming on. Check out the new Woods album, Perennial, and catch them on tour this fall. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Amar Lal and our theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like this show, tell a friend. Do what you do when you like stuff. You know, spread some good vibes. If you want more Blamo, join us on Patreon for our exclusive shows from Blamo Presents, Derek Guy, and the Triple J Show, and our amazing Slack community. So much, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So dive in. All right, folks. We'll see you all soon.